This is a great Sunday for you to be here with us. It's the very last Sunday of 2019. Uh, we always like to take a Sunday right there between Christmas and New Year, New Year and have a Vision Sunday where we do a couple of things. Number one, we celebrate all the things that God did in 2019. And then we cast vision for what we believe God wants to do in 2020. Now, I just want to make sure that you understand, although it was very tempting to join uh, the majority in the 2020, the year of vision. Okay, let's, we didn't wait till 2020 for God to give us vision for where he wanted to take us. Okay, so 2020 for us, we just sense this is not on like the Jewish calendar or a thus saith the Lord thing by any means. We just believe that this is not just the year of vision, but the year of implementation of vision. That God wants you to implement some things that you've been seeing were potential inside of you for a long time now. If you will, hold in your Bible or turn on your device. I'm going to take you to Proverbs chapter 29. It's a familiar passage for anybody that begins to speak about vision. And we're going to end up this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. There will be a couple other verses along the way, but I really want to settle in your spirit today in those two places. Proverbs 29 verse... Where there is no prophetic vision. Now I'm reading from the English Standard Version because this version does the best job of interpreting this verse in my very minuscule theological opinion. Uh, this verse translated right here is not just vision, but the English Standard Version adds the word prophetic vision. Now prophetic vision is not just vision that you can see where you are. Prophetic vision is the ability to see into where God wants to take you. Prophetic vision is beyond where you currently stand. Because most people can see what's right in front of them. I know there are exceptions to every rule, but it's not extremely difficult. In other words, it's not divine, supernatural, to be able to see what's right in front of you. I don't want to take that for granted. I'm grateful for that. But it is supernatural. It is only through the supernatural eyes of God that you can see things that are yet to come, that are on the way, that are over the horizon. And in this passage, the Bible says where there is the inability to see beyond where you are, the inability to see over the horizon, where there is no prophetic vision, then the people will cast off restraint. In other words, if I don't give my children prophetic vision, then they will become so undisciplined that they will cast off all restraint and all order and all direction. And they will begin to develop their own vision because they're not being given one. When there is not a prophetic vision in your life, in your heart, in your habits, in your home, then the people around you will begin to cast off all restraint. Anything that you had influence over will begin to develop its own vision. And the very good example is the house of David. David was not properly casting vision 
was not properly caring for things in his home. So one of his sons went to the gate of the city and began to form a rebellion against him. Why? Because there was no prophetic vision for that son as to where he was supposed to go in Christ. People cast off restraint. People began to begin to try to pastor churches and pastor churches, pastors of churches begin to try to do all the ministry by themselves. There's no prophetic vision. And with there is no prophetic vision, there is chaos. People cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now remember in the Old Testament, this is going to be important. In the Old Testament, the law very simply represented the word. Okay? In the Old Testament, the law represented the Word. In the New Testament, we understand that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the New Testament, the Word is Jesus. Blessed is he who keeps himself in Jesus. There's the difference in the two. Vision, if you want to write this down, to simply put, vision is the distance between my present and my potential. And listen, if you're still on this earth and in this place, then you have not reached your full potential. If you had reached your full potential, then God would bring you home. (laughs) But if you're still here, it means he's not done. And God's vision for you is that you would not be settled and satisfied with anything less than his absolute best. You're going to hear me say that a lot today. To learn to be content no matter your circumstances, certainly. That's biblical. Philippians 4.11. It's one of my go-to verses for my life because I'm not really good at being that guy. I'm a little ambitious, sometimes overly ambitious. Don't judge me. Sometimes I have to learn to be content with what God has given me where I am. But what I will never be is settled and satisfied as if I have arrived into everything that God had planned. So I can see over the horizon while acknowledging the people and the place around me all at the same time. Vision, let me say it this way, is the distance between where you are currently and where God wants to take you. Where you are currently and where God wants to take you. Let me say this, there are too many satisfied, saved saints. Way too many. Settled and content to reserve their seat and recline in their own salvation until they hear the trumpet of the Lord. And there's going to be a rude awakening for the people in the church that decide that that is all that Jesus came And gave his life on behalf of. The vision of God is to not be settled and satisfied. To celebrate where you are, but to see beyond the horizon. Not where you are, but where God wants to take you. In 2019, I'm going to, one of our values here um, at New Hope, as a staff and as a church, one of our values, we implemented it after we had Uh, labored over a few other ones. The very last one is something we do every Monday. As we open staff meeting, I think it's our staff's favorite part of staff meeting because it's the main part where they get to talk. Thank you for those. And you guys are Christmas hungover right now this morning. We'll get there. 
that value is what they do for the first 20, 30 minutes until I cut it off because we've got to move forward. It's called celebrate big. We celebrate big every week. You know why? Because we convince ourselves of what we hear us say out loud. And most of the time, we only say out loud what is frustrating us, what is angering us. We have an emotional moment of expression where we say what is irritating us instead of having an intentional moment of exaltation where we praise God for what he is doing, where we are currently. In 2019, some things that we need to celebrate big. In New Hope Kids Ministry, every Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, we averaged 80 children on Wednesday. Now, that's before, hold your applause, because that may not seem like a huge deal to you, but on Wednesday night when we first got here, my wife and I first moved here, and, and by the time, you know, all the new wore off and the wanderers wandered off again, <laughs> they were wondering what the new pastor would be like. When they got sick of that, they wandered away to something else, and then maybe they came back again, and it's all good. But either way, when we got here, we had to have children's workers in the back, because Megan and I had three children, and they were here. And so every week we would schedule a few people to keep our kids. <laughs> and we called that children's ministry. That's a true story. But this past year, we had over 80 averaging every Wednesday night coming and digging a little bit deeper into God's Word, into breakout groups and studying and learning. Over 170 children a Sunday in 2019. 170 average. Like That's not the most we had. That's the average of children every Sunday. And by the way, every Sunday that we're here, that we're in town, and I hope it happens when I'm out, we walk into that room, we lay hands on every chair, and I say, God, please, Plant your word in the heart of every child that sits in every chair in this room. And even the ones that are running around like a Comanche with no clue. God, I pray that they would sense your presence today. God, no matter what they came from, no matter what's going on in their home life, I pray, God, today they would sense your presence, that you would plant your word in their heart. God, water that word. I claim them for your kingdom, that this community would be different because of what you're planting inside of them. And that happens every Sunday for 170 children. Our student ministry in 2018 averaged right at 80 students a week. That's average, that's not the height, okay? That's average, like that's consistently coming. At the end of that, at the two, end of 2019, about 90 students a week are coming every Wednesday night. Now here's what's, to me, the most impactful. Pastor Weston said every week, every Wednesday that we have a service, we have at least three to five, sometimes a lot more. And sometimes some of them are repetitive because, you know, we're just crazy when we're teenagers. We give our life to Jesus every week. But three to five students every week, on average, at least, raise their hand and make a decision for Jesus. Every single week. That means if just three to five, three to five students over a 52-week period, the simple math of that is that approximately 150 teenagers gave their lives to Jesus last year, made a decision for Jesus last year. 
Pastor Lydia, with some key volunteers, <laughs> one of your favorite things, whether you know it or not, but developed something this church has never had before in the history of its existence, and that is a team full of people, approximately 15, 16 people that check in children every week. And then they put a sticker on the shirt. And guys, I'm letting you know, take that sticker off before you go home. Because if you wash and dry that thing, that, it's over. It's, we have lost a few shirts from just saying it happens. But that check-in team with people that had never formally felt like they really had anything to do. And now every Sunday they get here for three services and they help us check in about 170 students. We had small groups birthed in our student ministry this year. We had seven small groups between middle school, junior high, and high school, girls and boys groups that met. One of those seven groups met every week at the high school. Small groups, students getting together, connecting with God, connecting with one another, making sure they know who's on their team and the campus that they need to win. What a powerful moment that God is doing. Out of all those decisions and all those things that we saw happening, over 40 of those people followed Jesus in water baptism. And 170 of those people, and I don't know why those numbers are so consistently the same across the board, 170 of our adults got actively involved in a small group last semester. 170 people being discipled. That doesn't include the seven small groups, seven freedom groups, which is its own ministry that had 50 people go to all the, way through the, all the way through the curriculum and then to the retreat, 50 people last spring and 70 people this fall. So put it all together and 120 people went through our freedom groups that have only been active for about a year and a half. And people are being discipled, people are being delivered, and it's more than just a divine moment in the altar. Not that that's not important, the people are truly experiencing the touch of God. We, this year, we were able to purchase 24 acres of land. We didn't ask you for a dime because you had already given it. We paid for 24 acres of property in cash, and we were able to clean up at least seven of it immediately so that we could add more parking, make room for more people, and add a third service that obviously expanded the consistency in attendance and consistency in people growing and hearing God's Word on a weekly basis. And next week... We're going to replace the top of that sign with a four-foot by eight-foot LED light-up sign that you should be able to see glowing from LSUE to Mamu, if I have anything to do with it. It's a... <clears throat> why? What's the big deal? Chris, why are you sharing all these numbers? Do you only care about numbers? Well, yeah. God wrote a whole book on numbers. You don't think he cares about numbers? Of course I care about numbers. I hate empty seats. You know why? Because every single number and every single empty seat represents one person that's sitting at home this morning wondering if there's a God in the universe that cares and if he would send somebody to share the life-giving message of the gospel. This thing goes way beyond how many people come to church. It's all about people meeting.
meeting with Jesus and being restored and redeemed into what he has for them. That's what the celebration is all about. That's why we gave what we gave and we invested into missions what we invested and we continue to sow into over 40 missionaries in the U.S. and abroad all over the world every single month and we never ask you for anything extra because we budget everything that you give. The only time that you ever hear us say anything about what we want you to give is when we grant you another opportunity to worship God with your giving and invest in another thing that we see as important. And it's never out of pressure or obligation, but we always give opportunity to God to put purpose into your heart. That's vision. It's vision that we were able to invest into Aaron and Stephanie DiMaggio at the end of November. And we brought them in, and it was our intent just to give them enough money to purchase a, an ATV. That's an all-terrain vehicle, okay, just to help everybody. We help them purchase an ATV. That way, when they go back home and they land in Kenya, they can purchase that ATV, and they can take teams and people more consistently to villages all around them that have never heard the name of Jesus before. Did you know that there are people in the world, approximately 2 billion people in the world, still today who have never heard the name of Jesus. They have never heard the plan of the gospel. They weren't raised in a Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, AG, or whatever title you want to put in. They've just never even heard his name. And yet we were able to sow into that. Not only that, but we were able to give them another bunch of money in order to purchase a passenger vehicle so that they could host more teams more consistently for less of a price. And then we received an offering for them where in one Sunday you gave $4,200 just to the couple, just to invest in them so that they could go home and fly back home and begin to take care of their family without worrying about all the extras this year. In one Sunday, because you caught the vision of God and you gave and you invested in the kingdom of God and you worship God in every area of your life, time, talent, and treasure, which is what we're celebrating. This church gave $22,000 to one missionary couple who's going to go back and continue to spread the gospel all over that area. And we're going to do our best in 2020 to plant a new hope in the Maasai tribe that has never existed before as we partner with this couple to help them plant a church for a people group that needs to hear the name of Jesus. That's vision. It's vision, not just being settled and satisfied with where we are, but being able to see beyond the horizon where God wants to take us. And God has a vision for this church. God has a vision for you. Quickly, God is more interested in me being faithful than me being famous. God is more interested in me being faithful in a society of fame in a society of accolades and self-glory. God is more interested in us being faithful than he is in us being famous. And everything that we do is a denial of self, less of me, more of him, so that his name can be made great. That's why vision is so important to us. Vision being the difference between our present and our potential in Christ. That does three things. Number one, it creates opportunity for a new move of God to work. Now, if I were to get all preachy this morning and say, how many of you 
want a fresh move of the Spirit, then a couple of people would go all old school and start waving stuff at me. Maybe even shout me down a little. And we would get really excited in here, in the sanctuary, because you would be thinking that I was talking about creating some kind of new emotionally driven excessive service for you to be able to attend so that you feel way better on a Sunday than you do every other day. But what I'm talking about is God moving fresh and new in your heart when nobody else is around. What I'm talking about is God moving fresh and new in your habits that you've been meaning to implement. Not just, man, I used to, or man, I should, but because we do. A fresh move. Not being settled or satisfied, but knowing that God has more. A new move of God to work. Why would we ever be saddest? We serve the creator of everything that was and is and is to come. We don't have to be settled and satisfied, wandering around blindly in the wilderness of our own comfort. We can cross the Jordan and defeat a new enemy in 2020. We can overcome a new obstacle in 2020. We don't serve a God that is dead or designated to a certain place in a certain time period. We serve the Lord who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet He makes His mercies new every single morning that's who we serve the second thing that it does is it creates room for more people more people listen as long as there is one more hurting as long as there's one more broken as long as there is one more lost wandering individual in this city alone then we have not arrived. But we need God to give us vision for where He wants to take us. Number three. Vision creates an expanse. It exposes our weakness. <laughs> See, when God shows you what He wants to do with you, it's going to scare you because you're not going to be able to do it if it's him. In fact, when he shows it to you, you may even respond and say, God, I can't do that. And he's going to say, yeah, I know, but I can. If God were to only show you things that you could do, then you would just do them. And then you would give yourself credit in what you have the ability to accomplish. But when God shows you vision about things that you don't think you can do, that you know you can't do, and then you learn how to lean on Him to see you through the thing that you didn't think you could do. When you get to the other side, there's only one person that receives the glory for it. Your weakness is exposed and His strength is perfected through it. So you don't go around telling everybody what you did. You go around telling everybody, look what the Lord has done. I can't believe, but God made a way. That's what happens when you have vision beyond where you are into where God wants to take you as a church, as a family, as an individual. God is not done with you. We need vision for our lives. We need to 
expose our weaknesses so that he can help us grow. Let me say it this way. It is God's will for this church to grow. Now that's a powerful statement because what that means is if we're not growing, we're outside of his will. That's scary. I can't do that. <laughs> but God. Why would I say it's God's will for us to grow? Because I'm not talking about just numerically. I'm not just talking about in width. I'm talking about in depth. But when somebody grows in depth, authentically, not this drawn up, excessively emotional only. Now, I'm not against emotion. I'm just against excess and anything out of order. I'm against anything that celebrates self over people who could potentially be saved. I'm against anything that goes in that manner. What I'm talking about is when God raises us up and begins to do something so significant that other people are drawn to it. And it could only be him. That's growth in through your personal life. So I believe that we as a church are supposed to grow. Why? Because I believe that we as individuals are supposed to grow. In fact, if we're not growing, then I would say that we are outside of the will of God. So God doesn't just have a vision for our church in 2020. God has a vision for you in 2020. What is that vision? Well, unfortunately, it's a little bit more mundane than what you're probably used to being excitedly stirred up over. It's very consistent. His vision for you in 2020 was his vision for you in 2019, and it will still be his vision for you in 21 and on. To know him, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to impact eternity. To know Jesus. Ephesians 1, 17, Paul says, I pray this for you, church. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. I pray this for you. I pray, what? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. In what? In being able to tell people off? In being able to feel really good about everything that you've accomplished? No. In the knowledge of of him. Now listen, if you know everything that there is to know about God, then you are released from listening to the rest of this sermon. <laughs> but if you're like me and everyone else in the room, and you understand like the Apostle Paul that I have not arrived, yet I press on, then God still has some more things that he wants to reveal about himself to you in 2020. A believer, an unbeliever, a saved, and a senior saint all have one thing in common. There's always more to learn about God. There's always more ways to know Jesus. See, that word is similar to the same word when the Bible said Adam knew the woman. Now, we've got to have enough maturity here not to twist this and into a place where we lose the essence of it. But the way that Adam knew his wife. And spiritually, God wants to know you the same way. Spiritually, God wants you to consummate your relationship with him. And then grow in that relationship every day. So that you continually fall more 
and more in love with him. Can I, I just perfectly honest, I grew up in church. I grew up in this thing. Like I, I got saved like 17 times by the time I was 21 years old. One of the things I never understood is what it truly meant to love Jesus. It was a struggle. You know why? Because I never really understood what it meant to follow Jesus. And when I surrendered my life to him fully, I began to follow him completely. And since then, I've learned more about him. See, what happens when you surrender is you begin to learn. And the more that you learn about Jesus, the more that you know of him. And the more that you know about him, the more you love him. It's just the way this thing works. The second thing that God wants to do is help you to continue to find freedom. Listen, I'm not talking about people that were just bound and addicted to alcoholism or pornography in our culture or drug abuse or like just cussing, which is a sin, by the way. I'm just making sure it's not okay. Let not blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. It's in the Bible. I promise it's there. You can Google it. It will help you and everybody around you. I'm not saying that you should be condemned by it. I'm just saying it's time to stop being satisfied. It's time to end this year unsatisfied and begin a new year in a new pursuit of God. Even if you've been doing it your entire life, I can promise you there's a new freedom for you to find this year. Discovered this verse in my 20s. I'd read over it a thousand times before. It's John chapter 8, verse 31. The Bible says, Jesus said to the Jews who believe, not just the Jews, please note, not just the Jews, but the Jews who believed, like saved people, people that believed in Jesus. He said this, if, that is a huge word, if you continue, if you abide, that's what that word abide means for us. If you continue in my word, remember in the Old Testament, it was the law. In the New Testament, it's the word and Jesus is the word and was the law. He is what shows us that we don't measure up. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You know what that means? If that is true, then so is the opposite of that. And this is kind of scary. That if you do not continue in my word, if you do not abide in Christ, it doesn't matter how many decisions you made. If you do not continue, you are not my disciples. Now that's frightening and encouraging all at the same time. The encouragement is, as long as you do, then you are. <laughs> and you didn't save yourself, and you can't keep yourself. But when you abide in Him, when you continue in Him, and you understand that this is a reciprocating process that never ends, then you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, because you can't know Jesus and stay bound. You can't know Jesus and stay stuck. You can't know Jesus and stay settled 
Why? Because he's not. And he never has been. So when you're in him, you become like him. And you begin to know what he knows and walk as he walked and do what he did. And the truth of God begins to set you free in ways that you didn't even know you needed freedom. That's what finding freedom is all about. Tenured saints going through freedom curriculum, getting plugged into small groups, sharing and learning and growing in ways that they thought they had already grown. (laughs) But God. See, everybody likes to talk about the God getting us out of certain situations, but nobody likes to talk about God pruning stuff out of us. (laughs) Because that doesn't feel good. But the Bible says that if you abide in Him, then that is just the product of what's going to take place. And if it's not, then you don't need to examine what's wrong with God. If it's not, you need to examine. Number three, discover purpose. One of the saddest statistics that I've ever heard in my life. 90% of God's people cannot tell you what their purpose in this life is. Why did God put you here? See, there's three questions that we need to be able to answer as humans. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? We've got the where we came from and where we're going thing down pat. But in the house of God, most people are only content if they make enough money and have enough stuff. Most people are only content when everything is going the way that they wanted it to go. And people who claim to be saved and spirit-filled cannot tell you why they are still here discovering purpose. I'm going to tell you. See, in Exodus chapter 6, and I don't have this in your notes, but you can read in verse 6 and 7 these four things. See, God said, I will free you from the Egyptians. That's salvation. I will free you. I will save you. I will take you out of that land. I will deliver you from those people. But now I've got to deliver you from yourself. That's what it means to finding freedom. I got to get Egypt out of you. I got to get your old life out of you. Because in me, you're a new creation. Old things have got to pass and all things got to become new. That's just the way that it's got to happen. But then God makes a promise that when you walk through that process, I will redeem you. See, redemption is unlike any other word in which we could apply to what God wants to do in our life. Redemption is not like restoration. Redemption is unlike salvation. Redemption means that God does not just take everything out of you, but he begins to reveal to you why he put you here. He doesn't just tell you what not to do. He begins to show you everything that he actually destined you to do. And when you begin to accomplish what God created you to do, then you will naturally not go back to what he delivered you out of. You don't want to. Because what you're doing currently is way better than what you used to do. (laughs) That's God's purpose for you. Whether it's helping us park a car. Here, let me help you. God's purpose for you. This is God's purpose for you. If I didn't believe it, I would, I'm not just trying to build a great thing here and use. I truly believe that this is the difference between, between people who claim to be a disciple and who people who are actually delivered and destined for what God created them for. Your purpose is to serve with the church at the church and serve as the church outside of the church. That is why God put you on this earth. To reveal 
His glory through you. On Wednesdays and Sundays and small groups and next steps and any other process or place that I can put you as the church, in the church, but as the church, outside of the church. And when God begins to do that, then the fourth and final thing will begin to happen in your life. You will begin to impact eternity. You will begin to be used by God to do something beyond yourself. You will begin to produce things, hear me, that will outlive your life. That is vision. I don't want to just live a good life. Anybody can live a good life. I don't want to just leave a legacy for my children to pick up. I don't want to leave a mark. I want to live a life that is worth continuing on. I want to live a life that impacts people so much that they learn to give their life for the same thing that we believe we gave ours for. To truly impact eternity in everything else that we do. There's nothing wrong with a good job. There's nothing wrong with a nice house. There's nothing wrong with possessions and the things that you accumulate. There's nothing wrong with putting money back and saving for the future. All those things are great as long as it's for the glory of God. But you begin to impact eternity with all of those things. And those things are not the substance of your existence. Those things are just the means by which God uses you to provide substance in and beyond existence. That's good. That is when you lay down at night and you know, thus saith the Lord, God, I hear you. And I see you transforming hearts and lives. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 3 as we close. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. It goes way past what you thought it was going to. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. See, I don't want God to just have another move. I want to be filled with the fullness of God. And then Paul writes, it's one of the best verses in Scripture, and we just read over it like it was a memory verse we were supposed to learn and then never forget. But we got to get what we know in our head down into our hearts as if it were actually eternally true. Now to him who is able. Able what? To do what he's done before and even more than this. He is the Lord our God and able to do much more than this. He's still able to redeem families. He's still able to restore marriages. He's still able to save a meth addict and a crackhead and deliver from alcoholism. He's still able to take the one that is on Wall Street living in his absolute best and showing that his greatest riches and treasure are nothing more than filthy rags to the one that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a designated God. We serve a God who gave his life and his legacy in order for us to do one thing, walk with him and make the same difference that he made. To impact, to him who is able, to what? To do exceedingly and abundantly more and above all that we even know to ask or know how to think. That is the God that we serve according to our own ability and what he has given us the desire and want to to do. No, according to the power that works in us. See, that is a journey worth going on. According to the power of God that works in us, to him be glory in the church.
Him be glory by Christ Jesus to all generations, making an impact that outlives you forever and ever. Let it be. That is God's vision for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I pray for every follower of Jesus in this room right now that you would help us to be content no matter our circumstances, but never settled or satisfied with anything less than your absolute best. God, stir in us as we prepare for 21 days of prayer and fasting. God, stir in us. Show us, God, what we can unplug from, what we can lay down in order to lean into you, what we've been finding substance and fulfillment in. God, show us, Lord, what is standing in the way of what you want to do in us so that for 21 days we can lay it down and you can replace it with what you have. We have not arrived, and yet we press on. I pray right now for every single person in this room that is like the teenager that we celebrated. God, for every person in this room that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that has not received salvation, that is not receiving salvation. God, I lift them up to you right now. And I pray that this would be a place where they can find you and begin their journey with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask the eternal question this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you need to give him your life? Do you need to surrender your all to him? If it's you that the Holy Spirit is stirring in right now as an act of obedience, as an act of surrender, we're going to pray in 20 seconds, and I want to invite you right where you sit to lift your hand and say, Lord, you already know I may as well be honest. God, please hear my heart today. Lift your hand if you want to be included in that prayer in 10 seconds from right now to receive salvation, to commit your life, to really commit, to recommit, whatever it is that God wants to do in three, two, lift your hand right now in this place and surrender. Lord, I thank you that you see every hand and you see every heart. God, may we unite our faith together and begin the marriage with you today, just like so many begin their own in a covenant by confession. I want to invite you right where you sit, if you lifted your hand, even if you didn't, to just open your hand up in your lap. Open your hands up like you're receiving a gift because it is his salvation that he paid for. And all you can do is receive it right now today. Come on, church. I want to invite you to pray with us out loud together. Confess together. Call upon the name of the Lord so that his salvation can be begun in so many hearts today. Let's pray together. Jesus, forgive me falling short, for being settled, for being satisfied with less than your best. Give me vision for my life, in my heart, my habit, my home. I believe you gave your life so that I could live in abundance. May I live for you in Jesus' name.